Hello and welcome to Making of a Historian, the podcast chronicling one grad student's quest to write his dissertation, get a job, raise a small child, teach a class, and survive the isolation of the COVID-19 pandemic. So, this is the ninth in a series of podcasts uh, following a class that I'm teaching on work and play in the Industrial Revolution. If you are new to the podcast, maybe jump back to episode one and you'll get a little bit of uh, more context about what we're talking about. This episode, we are talking about a particular kind of recreation that's close to my heart. It is uh, clubs and societies. Uh, this is important to me because it's the topic of my dissertation research. Uh, I'm writing about clubs and societies in the 18th century, and it's kind of like the among the biggest things that I think about. I, I spend a lot of time uh, each day looking through sources on clubs and societies, uh, you know, honing my thinking about clubs and societies, asking particular kinds of questions, making a, a particular argument. And, and it's, it's important. And it's also, it also feels kind of dangerous and, and, and critical. Like a lot of my future as a, as a historian really kind of hangs on my performance of this this research into clubs and societies, and so talking about this is 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 different than talking about the other topics that we've covered so far in this podcast series, or even in 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 the podcast as a whole. You know, one of the things that keeps me able to produce podcasts is that I kind of give myself a, a way to be sloppy. Um, I record these quickly. I, I do it off of the cuff often with minimal notes. And, and I'm, you know, I feel, look, it's, this, is, this is not my main job. Uh, so if I make a mistake, it's, it's fine. But with this, with clubs, uh, it, it's not. It is my main job. I, I, I feel like a, an extra responsibility to be thorough and interesting and, 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 and novel. And I felt this in class uh, when, I, when I taught clubs as well. Like I, 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 I feel like a special kind of nervousness about a tenderness about, about the topic. I, 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 I wanted to convince my students that my research was interesting, valuable, that I was an expert in, in, in a way that I just didn't care as much about uh, with other topics. And so I'm kind of hesitating to record this. I actually recorded a version of this episode last night, and and halfway through, I, I felt a, a, a growing bit of despair, and I deleted it. Um, so, first, I guess I should just tell you what clubs are and why they're interesting. I mean, you know what a club is. It's it's a private group of people. The, there's some people who have members. They meet at a set time, usually regularly, and they, you know, often have a special purpose. But why are clubs important? Um, well, first, there's just kind of a mystery that has, still hasn't adequately been solved. Like when you, if you looked at a, at a graph that told you the number of clubs and societies in Britain, it would look like one of those hockey stick graphs. They increase exponentially over the 18th century. In 1650, we know of a handful of clubs. By 1800, they're just clubs everywhere. And by 1900, clubs are just rooted in, in, in people, mainly men's everyday lives. And so 
the question is, why does that happen? There's two other big processes that, that happen with the expansion and the diffusion of the club form. The first is that clubs start to be ported to many different kinds of specializations. You know, in the early 18th century, there were lots of political clubs, lots of dining clubs, but really clubs were, were an extension of tavern and coffeehouse social life that just with a little bit more of a protected clientele. But as the century wore on, the club form, the, the particular kind of corporate bureaucracy the clubs used, reported to more and more different kinds of things. And so clubs specialized, and these specialized clubs started to create their own forms of recreation, their own uh, pastimes, their own um, uh, 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 activities. And as clubs developed, this particular kind of corporate bureaucracy that the clubs used developed into its own genre. People started to do a particular kind of thing when they when they ran clubs that I, I argue in my dissertation is really, really linked both with the corporation, um, the, 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 the big, you know, the, the form of organized life that, that, that we have the most contact with today and with democracy. So that's a big claim. Those are those are, but those are the big things that 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 are important about clubs and societies. So I guess I, I think it would be best if I just dug into each one of those claims and talked about what they are and why why I think they're they're you know they're important. So let's talk about specialization and diversity first. So when you look uh, at through a history of Britain and, and clubs come up, uh, you know often you will be confronted with a number of picturesque clubs. Uh, there's a club in Liverpool that's been written about a lot called the Ugly Face Club, where you know people were supposed to be ugly, and and this has spawned a number of other Ugly Face clubs all around the world, uh, many of which uh, still exist. There's a great This Is Love episode where they talk about a, a an ugly face club in a particular Italian village. Um, but there's lots more than just the ugly face club. There's a club for uh, a patronymic societies, like for people named Gregory. Clubs for particular identities in the big city that might not have an institution that represents them. Uh, there's clubs for Irish people, for Scots people, for uh, homosexuals, for journeyman tailors, journeyman shoemakers, clubs clubs uh, for people from Devonshire. There's a bunch of clubs that allow people to represent particular kinds of identities that might not have had representation. But there's also clubs for particular kinds of recreation. There's debating societies, musical societies, chess societies. There's societies for, you know, almost anything that men could possibly do in the 18th century. We've talked a lot on this podcast about my research on change ring societies, the particular kind of British bell ringing where groups of men would go up to church uh, uh, towers and ring bells in complicated mathematical uh, uh, permutations, often for many hours in, in what I call a conspicuously complex amusement. So there's new kinds of recreations that are uh, 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 fostered by club life. And these clubs are kind of novel in how they bring people together, especially the specialized ones. You know, before the advance of club life, when you had organizations 
you know, they were often representing a particular uh, identity that was already there. A club for tailors, excuse me, a guild for tailors would just get tailors and want to be tailors. A, a company of merchants would, would, would accept people who were already merchants or who wanted to become merchants. And also because of the low number of such organizations uh, in, in, in the, you know, organizational ecology, uh, people tended not to belong to more than one or two organizations. You might belong to a church and a guild uh, and maybe a family, uh, but it would be very rare to be members of two churches or two guilds. The thing about clubs was that you could have a diversity of belonging because they were so easy to join and to leave, and there were so many of them. This also meant that particular kinds of practices could spread between the clubs much quicker. Uh, particular kinds of, of uh, 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 bureaucracy spread from the Freemasons all around the, the organized club world really quickly because so many people were members of the Freemasons and of other clubs. And so what you get is you get a spread of this kind of what, what I've called sometimes a social technology or other times a, a form of bureaucracy that lets people start organizations easily. And these organizations can uh, develop new kinds of specialized social life that let people do things with their spare time that they might not otherwise do. We take this diversity of recreation today as kind of for granted. We don't really think of it as unusual, but I think it's a really important development in uh, the long 18th century that, that clubs are responsible for, or at least partially responsible for. We have a large range of options for what we can do for fun and in our spare time. The second thing that's novel about clubs is how they organize themselves. So clubs usually had some set of formal rules by which they uh, uh, organized their meetings and, and their society. Members had to go through a particular kind of procedure to become a member. They had to be elected. They had to pay a certain amount of money. They had to sometimes do some elaborate initiation thing. And there were a bunch of rules that governed what people could and could not do within the club meeting itself. Now, that's not super unusual. We understand that the organizations that we're a part of, uh, you know, have rules that, that govern us. Like today, we live in a world of corporate bureaucracy where, you know, we are all, you know, governed by, you know, big general rules that are written down and given to us by a central authority. I mean, my life right now is, is really determined by a number of like large bureaucratic organizations who tell me, you know, how I should teach in this time of coronavirus, how I should give grades, how, you know, they also determine how much money I should be given in the future. They should, they determine whether I continue as part of my graduate program. And that's not, they don't look at me, Brendan Mackey, and, and say, wow, this guy should teach in this particular way. They make a general rule that's applied to my specific case. They're a bureaucracy. Clubs did that too. But what's weird about clubs is that they did it for much smaller groups of people. You had written rules and organizations that had five people, three people, 12 people. And also the big difference between club bureaucracy and corporate bureaucracy today is that like how clubs did their bureaucracy was participatory and democratic. The people had a say in their rules. They voted on them. They debated them. They proposed them themselves. They were making up the rules together as they went along, which is very different from how we have organized social life today. 
Now, in my more ambitious moments, I think that what people do in clubs is an alternative path for the modern capitalist bureaucratic organization that dominates our lives today. Something that, that, that scholars of organizations have noticed is that over the past 200 years, our lives have become dominated by organizations. They tend to be bigger than they've ever been before. Amazon, Facebook, Google, uh, Apple, uh, these new companies that, that, that determine so much of our life right now are bigger and more powerful than companies seem to have been at any time in the past. Um, and they restrain our freedoms in really important and profound ways. For all of the complaints in modern American society about the uh, potential coercive power of the state, um, I think that most people have most of their coercion come from these big private companies. Our jobs, uh, the places that we buy and, and sell things, the, the social media sites on which we communicate, these big corporations are the defining feature of the modern age. But when we go to the early stages of corporate growth, the 18th century, what we see is a wide variety of different kinds of corporations coexisting. There are for-profit corporations that are, you know, generally much smaller than they were before, but there's also for pleasure corporations, the club. These organizations show a democratic alternative to the modern corporation, one that's organized not for profit, but for the pleasure of their members. Now, do I think that we could just like press a button and, you know, change all for-profit capitalist organizations to clubs? No, I, that would be ridiculous. But I think that it suggests problems of, 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 of how we organize our corporations today uh, and new avenues of, of, of ways that we can reform our corporations. Why don't we think about giving a little bit more democracy into the organizations that we have? Why don't we try to make the, the, the purpose of our associating together to be a little bit more about fun, pleasure, uh, uh, some sort of specialized uh, uh, group activity rather than profit. I mean, these are, are questions that I think uh, uh, putting clubs in the history of corporations raise. And finally, I think I think that that the knack for organizations that clubs gave people uh, really shows a poverty in our modern life today. Um, people in the 18th century and the 19th century could start organizations. Um, sometimes they were repressed by the state, sometimes they were repressed by, by uh, the public at large, but there was a knack for organizations amongst men amongst men with enough money and time to join clubs, but there was a knack there that today we lack. We don't have the same kind of, of, of rich ability to organize our social lives that the people in the past did. We are relatively feeble in that respect, and I think that we are seeing the failure of this today in the coronavirus pandemic. We don't have much to do except for work and our families. There's this vast middle ground of human experience that we have a blank for. We're trying to fill it. We're trying to, to, to make new ways of belonging, but I think that we, we lack the ability to because our lives have been dominated by large organizations so much. And finally, I think that this has big contributions to make for how we understand democracy as a whole. 
I think that when you look at a history of democracy, often people think about it as purely political, like purely stuff about how we should manage the state, how we should deal with objects of very big common good. But but I think that the example of the club shows that democracy can be something that you can do at a much smaller scale. And the people of the 18th century who made many of the democracies that, that we live in today learned how to do democracy not only from participating in the state, but from participating in organized democratic fun ways. When modern people think about organization, when we, we think about bureaucracy, we often think about it in this libertarian, Foucauldian manner, which, which, which suggests that there's just power all the way down, that power always corrupts, that the institutions that we're involved in inevitably have a, a negative effect on us, that, that, that they're always repressive, and the only option is to smash the institutions or to, 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 to burn them all down and hope for a better thing. And I think that that's really paralyzed uh, what, for lack of a better term, I will call the left, because we have stopped organizing ourselves. We, be, we, 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 we distrust organization. But I think what my research shows is that organization can be a powerful balm that brings people together. Rules fines, uh, set procedures, um, punctilio, like 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 the things that we often think of boring, but meetings um, where people have to have rules of order and stand up and address each other formally. All these things are not shackles that, that bind people to some sort of grim, um, you know, all-encompassing, you know, tendrils of capillary power. But I mean, they can be. But when the power comes from, from, from small groups that are all uh, uh, involved in, in, in the same thing, they can be instead liberating. So that's like a snapshot of where my thinking is on, on clubs and societies. Uh, uh, and maybe <laughs> it made sense, maybe it didn't. Um, at this point, I've been staring at my dissertation so much, I, I, I don't know uh, whether I'm ranting or, or, or not. Um, if you like the show, uh, rate and review us on iTunes, share us in social media, tell your grandparents, tell your in-laws, tell your friends, uh, tweet about us. Uh, thank you, as always, to uh, Duncan Barton, who made our image, and Jonathan Lear, who made our music. Uh, thank you to all the people who've reached out about the podcast during this COVID pandemic. Uh, it uh, means a lot to know that I'm not uh, talking into the void. Thank you to my students um, who keep on coming to class, even though uh, UC Berkeley tells me that I cannot actually uh, uh, dock off their, their grades for lack of attendance. Um, and also, of course, for being smart and committed and, and helping me think through the problems of the course um next week we will be coming back and uh, we'll be talking about the history of beer um we'll be discussing um the longer history of beer and then i'm going to talk a little bit about the development of uh the uh person like me's favorite beer the ipa the india pale ale I'll speak to you then